Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. We are finishing a series called Kingdom Living. It's been through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, if you were to memorize or just remember three chapters of Scripture out of the entire Bible, these would be the ones. But remembering words and remembering things is, is sometimes harder than you think. And uh, it made me think of my great, great grandfather, Omer. And uh, Omer was actually, he was actually a Texas Ranger. Uh, lived in Arizona, but he was a Texas Ranger for a time. And he went to buy a horse one day from a man. He heard it was a good horse. And so he got there and he, he was right. It was a great horse. And so uh, he rode it a bit and, and just said, hey, uh, I need you to know something though, the owner. He said, this is a Christian horse. And he said, okay. And he says, so, so <clears throat> you know, you may have noticed I was giving him commands when you're riding. He, he only does the things you want him to do if you give him certain commands. And it's all Christian sayings or words. He says, okay. And he says, so, so here's what it is. Uh, uh, you know, to walk, you got to say glory. Uh, if you want them to trot, you got to say amen. And then if you want them to canter, you say holy. And if you want them to gallop, you say praise the Lord. Okay. So, uh, and, and Omer is like, okay, I got it. I got it. And he says, but listen, here's the most important thing that, that if you want them to stop, he won't stop unless you say witness. He says, oh, okay, I, I got it. I got it. So Omer takes off. He's riding the horse and, uh, it's a lamb that he knows pretty well. And, um, and so he's, he's going pretty good. And so, you know, he, uh, he's walking. And so he says glory. And then he says, amen, a little faster. And then, and then he says, you know, praise the Lord. Cause he wants to really see what his new horse can do. And so he gets rolling. And the only problem is, is he forgets how to tell the horse to stop. And so he's going through all the words and all the things he told them and he's going and, and, and then he realizes that there's a cliff and it's like a hundred foot down cliff. Not many of them in Texas, but you know, it's there, right? And, and he's going and finally, right as he's about to go over the cliff, because the horse does not stop, you know, and it was just like the cartoons where the horse's legs are, and there's dust flying everywhere. Omer's like almost over the top, you know, and he says, witness, so the horse stops and he looks over the cliff and he says, praise the Lord. <laughs> and so um, that really had nothing to do with the message other than, 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 than words. But I remembered that story last night. I do have a great grandfather named Omer that was a Texas Ranger, Bo. I, I will tell you that though. But um, think of the words that we've gone through over the last several weeks. If you weren't with us or if you were, I'd encourage you to read them. Uh, they're, they're so profound, so good. And, uh, but some people approach them and say, well, this is like any other teacher I can grab from these. But at the, at the very end of what we're going to read today, it says that the people were amazed because Jesus did not teach like the teachers of the law, but he taught as one with authority. And so we need to remember that it's, it's God himself that is saying, this is the way to live. This is the way for you to go. And, uh, you know, I was thinking with that about the power of one life, that, that if just one person 
were to hear the words of Jesus and to apply them to their life. That if just one person was to grab onto the way to live with Jesus, what a difference it makes. And uh, I looked up some statistics and um, in our lives, we will actually run across uh, uh, three million faces in our lives. I mean, so it's an average. If you're out and about, maybe more. Uh, but you can only remember 5,000 faces right about at, at one time. Uh, and then you'll meet 80,000 people in a lifetime on average. Just, just meeting people, so now it's more intentional. And then even the most introverted of people will impact the lives of 10,000 people in their lifetime. So in other words, like their life has been changed because of something that you did. <laughs> So pr- pretty incredible. And then you think about, think about just your family, like uh, whether you're young or whether you're older today, uh, you have those that go after you, whether they're your children or your nieces or your nephews, that you will incredibly profoundly impact dozens of people in your life. And, uh, and you think about like, you know, what do we leave the people that we, when we move on past this world? All of us leaves that. And so the power of one life of actually taking these words of Jesus and, and moving them in their life is, is, is actually pretty incredible. And Jesus addresses that. He addresses like, what will you do with what you've heard? And then he talks about building. And so the, the, the pregnant question there is, is like, how will you build your life? Because every single person here is a builder. And there's two different ways to build, which we'll go into. But let's start in verse 21 of chapter seven of Matthew and finish up this sermon of Jesus. He starts with, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And so Jesus is pointing out a problem. It was a problem in his day, and it's a problem in our day, where people would substitute mere words or mere talk with Jesus instead of actually having a personal relationship with him. That the talk would be much bigger than actually what is really there. Jesus spoke the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah over the Pharisees who were, they seemed to be the closest people to God in their day. But when Jesus, God himself came, they were actually shown to be much on the outside because much of their effort was like these words that they had the words, but their hearts were far from God. And so Jesus spoke this over them from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And so Jesus is illustrating that the way to attach to him is not simply with one's words, but actually with our hearts, our thinking, the way that we live our real lives is the way to attach to Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, one of the first followers of Jesus, he, he shares the importance of words of confession. And actually, they are actually the power to save you and that you would actually be a regenerated person and change if you speak these words 
as tied with a heart that is attached as well. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10, verse nine through 10, he says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And it, it, you know, if, when you gave your life to Jesus, if there was a moment that you were in church or someone was sharing Jesus with you, a parent or family, a friend or a stranger, they may have led you in a prayer of confession of Jesus like this. This is where that comes from, is that you would profess that Jesus Christ came, he died, he rose again and believe in him and, and confess your sins to him and be saved. But there's no magic power in just the words that you speak. It's actually the intent of your heart meeting the intent of God's heart. And then together, something happens. The Bible actually would describe that in ourselves, that apart from Jesus, there would actually be complete darkness. In other words, there's just not a light, a little bit of light in us that actually just needs to be fanned into flame by adding someone like Jesus to it, but actually that in our hearts, our souls, that there's just darkness, that we're condemned, that we're actually set apart from God because of our sin and the sin of all people that we've taken part in. The Bible actually says that a light comes in from the outside, and that's how we're lit up as people and how we're saved and changed. And so, but Jesus says, so it's not your words but it's those that do the will of my father that will enter the kingdom. And so what is the will of the father? Well, uh, it's really what Jesus has been talking about. Uh, the, the whole sermon, that's the will of the father. Uh, but more specifically, uh, in other places, he talks about uh, loving God and loving people. Someone asked him what the two greatest commandments are. And he says, he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart all your mind, in all your soul. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And so he summed up all the things that God has commanded in that. In other words, and he's not talking about just like, okay, I'm going to do those actions, but like it's a real heart relationship that you, you love God and you're loved by him and you love others and you're loved by them. And so that would be the will of the father for those that would, that would go there. And so, but the timing of verse 21 is important because it's different than the timing of verses 22 and 23. He seems to be speaking to the person that is still alive on this side of physical death. And he's saying to us and to all those that would listen, hey, it's okay if your life relationship with me is all talk, there's still time. There's still time. If it's just more your words than versus your real life, there's still time to be right with me. And, uh, you know, we can understand Jesus. Like we, we, uh, we've all had people that maybe, uh, you know, at the beginning of the relationship, maybe a salesperson or, or somebody that does a service for us in our home. And in, in, in the, to get the contract, to get the sale, the talk is, is, is right. That, oh, yeah, you bet we do that. You bet. Yeah, top-notch quality. You bet we got that. You bet, you bet. Or maybe you've had an employee that in their interview, they interviewed really well, and yet they 
couldn't really follow through when it came to the job. Uh, we have some friends that uh, years ago when they had somebody uh, remodel their home, uh, they had, they added, uh, you know, shower, bath, uh, laundry room, all these things. And, and somehow when the contractor finished the job, uh, you had to actually step into the shower to open the door of the dryer, you know, so you couldn't, you know, this thing and, and needless to say that didn't match the sales pitch, the quality and the experience that was there. And so we can understand Jesus with that, you know, but what about us? What about us with, with Jesus? You know, what, what life are we building? Uh, you know, is it, um, what's that country song? A little, I'm sure it probably has some other meaning and that's not what I'm talking about, but you know, a little bit, little less talk, little, a lot more action, right? You know, uh, that's what Jesus would say, you know, like bring me your whole life, your whole heart. You guys are snickering now. I know what that song means. I don't even know what it means. Just like, hey, sometimes things come in my head and I shouldn't say them, but let's keep going. So the next thing that we see is that Jesus addresses posers and performers. And so he's saying that words are not enough, but now he's saying actions just done, not connected to your heart are not enough as well. So in verse 22, uh, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So notice that the timing has changed from what Jesus said before. And now the timing is actually would be on the day of judgment. You can read about this in Revelation 20 and other places, Old Testament and New but this would be the day that uh, it's described in Revelation 20. You know, the, the book is open, the book of life. And in those that names are in the book of life enter into God's presence. And those that their names are not in the book of life uh, enter away from God's presence. And so Jesus seems to be speaking about that time at this point. Uh, and, and so this is a time where, you know, what we've decided in the dash, you know, between our birth and between our physical death, like, we've decided something with Jesus. And, and it's clear that there's not a chance to make a decision after that physical death, that, that what we decide in this life is what's final. And so that's what Jesus speaks of, is it, it's at this point where these people are speaking of their performance, their, their posing per se, because they were doing actions, but their hearts weren't really tied to Jesus. And so Jesus is pointing out that there was and is a problem with people living this way, where they would grab on to the, the performance part of Christianity. They would grab on to the actions, the religious pieces of Christianity and, and walk through those and yet never really surrender their life to Jesus. Uh, notice how they've depersonalized and, and minimized Jesus to a formula. They say, well, well did we not? Uh, did, did we not uh, do this in your name? And, and they say three times in your name. Did we not do this in your name? And did we not do this in your name? And, and so saying, well, Jesus, we got you. I mean, you said if you do things in my name or if you pray in my name. And, and so there are even people that know the word of God. There are even people that are, that are uh, uh, you know, they, they've walked through Christianity. They, they, they know it. They've, they've, they've gotten into it. 
But here's what we know as we look at the whole council of scripture is, is that the things that they say, well, you know, didn't we do these things, prophesy or drive out demons or miracles? We see that God actually does these things and these things are done by people that actually don't know him. Uh, we actually see that in the Old Testament uh, that God prophesies uh, uh, through someone that doesn't know him and actually then prophesies through a donkey. You know, just an animal that, you know, and, and, and prophesies about what's going on. Uh, and then driving out demons. You know, one of the funniest parts of scripture is is where the, you have the seven sons of Sceva, and Sceva was a sorcerer, and, and he was going around, and others were too, where they figured out that, you know, the name of Jesus was so powerful that uh, you could actually cast out evil spirits just by saying the name of Jesus and commanding them to come out but they didn't have any relationship with Jesus. And so his sons one day tried to do this and there was an exceptionally strong demon. You can read, that, read this in the book of Acts. And he says to them, he says, you know, because uh, they say, we, we cast you out in the name of Jesus who Paul worships. And he says, look, I know who Paul is. I know who Jesus is, but who are you? And, and the person possessed beats them so bad that they, get, they run out naked in the midst of all the people. And so, but they actually were successful, if you read the scripture, that with other demons, they were actually successful. So they had no relationship. They did miracles. And then when it comes to miracles, you may know uh, in the Old Testament, when Moses goes before Pharaoh and, and God empowered him to do all sorts of miracles, that, that he did miracles. And then it says that the sorcerers and the magicians then did the same miracles that Moses did. And so these great outward acts is not just enough to show that we truly have a relationship with God, with Jesus. And so these people that Jesus describes will approach Jesus, it appears, when it's all said and done on the day of judgment, and they'll approach him out of the chaos of religion. And Jesus will respond in the simplicity of knowing. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. And so there's something totally different than, than just activity. Now, if you've felt targeted at different points throughout the Sermon on the Mount or today with the first verse we read or whatever, don't feel so bad. This one's targeted at me. It's targeted at people like me. It's targeted at people that, uh, you know, uh, are drawn to or take seriously the ministry of, of Jesus as a role, as a profession. It's, it's targeted at those that, that get up in front of people like this and walk through this and, and do these different things and see that they're to be done. It's, it's targeted at people like that. Because Jesus is illustrating it's possible to put the cart before the horse. That you actually can do all sorts of amazing things. You can preach amazing sermons. You can do amazing miracles. You can even lead people to Jesus. You can even uh, say things that encourage people in Jesus, but all the while never even know him. Wow. How do you think I feel getting up to tea? I'm like, okay, you know, like this is just wow. It's a, it's a pretty convicting passage of scripture to say, wow, do I know him? Do I really, really know him? Or I, am I in this mode? Um, but really though, what this is, and it, it, it's just true. 
Uh, I mean, don't go looking for, you know, don't go looking for a snake under every rock. But it's just true that in the day of Jesus and today that there's people that somehow, you know, found that they wanted to make an impact, found that they were wanted a place where they could be powerful, that wanted to be able to impress, that wanted to be able to control, that wanted success or fame or, or to look really good or to have people follow them or to have a stage. And they found Christianity as their stage. And so that's where they perform and that's where they pose. That's where they play their role. And so it just is. Jesus says so. That there's some that will do that. But this verse just doesn't have to do with people like me. It has to do with all of us, doesn't it? Because it's a mirror to show us. Because whether the person I was talking about, that that's what they worship, they wanted to have an impact or a stage, and they found Christianity as their playing ground. Isn't it also just anything that we worship? Like, isn't it also just like if I worship success or if I worship power or control or if I worship pleasure or I worship comfort or I worship, uh, you know, freedom from problems or I, I, I worship uh, financial stability? I don't know. I can take that which I worship and put it into the playground of Christianity and say, well, this is the place that I get what I worship. And so my interaction with Jesus is approaching him on that. If I can just have this, Jesus, if I can just have this, Jesus, and all the while, Jesus is just a vehicle instead of a person. Like, what if, what if in Christianity, what if the message was is that, that, that actually when you come to him, you actually have to surrender everything? It's not where you get everything, it's where you surrender everything. And then he builds your life the way that it was meant to be. I think that's closer to what he said. And so it's really for, for all of us to do. And, and you say, well, what do you mean? I mean, what do you mean? Like, I, I can really get it wrong? Yeah, for sure. But it's not difficult. It's actually very clear as long as we focus on what Jesus says. Uh, the other night, uh, one of our vehicles has a headlight out, or it doesn't anymore. And so I, I've been looking at it for a while. And so I decided I'm going to get this done. And so I, I put it in there and I watched a little YouTube video. Cause there's all these, there's this, there's this rubber piece and there's this clip piece. And then in the guy in the video, it's a beautiful YouTube video. He just says, there's one way to put this in. And so I'm like, I put it in there and put the, and I'm like, okay. But I'm like, why is it so hard to put this clip in? And I'm, I'm getting mad at the engineer that made this. And I'm like, ah, why did you do it? I know why you're doing this. You're doing this so that normal people can't do this. And I have to bring it into the dealer and I got to do this. I'm like so fired up out here. My son comes out. I'm like, don't come out here, son. You know, and it just, it's going bad, you know, and, and I'm sitting there and then I'm like one way, huh? Okay. So I go and shine the light on the one that's already installed and look at that. And I'm like, oh, I've got it upside down. Isn't that kind of how it is in life? You know, we look at our lives and we, we just say, man, I don't know why this is this way and this hurts this way and these things. I mean, come on, God. I mean, why are you letting this happen? Why is this happening? Why did this go on? And the Lord says, there's one way. Are you surrendered to me? It's clear that the only way that our sins are forgiven, the only way that we're made right with God and people is by the blood of Jesus that paid for the sins of the world. 
That there's actually just one way, and the only way that we get that forgiveness is by surrendering our lives to him. And so we can play all day long doing it other ways, and we look, but is, is my life surrendered to Jesus? And so, you know, what's so intriguing about the life of Jesus, and, and what I n- notice is, I, I never read the Bible before I was in the middle of my teen years. And as I got around Christians, and they led me to Jesus, and and as I started reading the Bible with them, I was intrigued by the life of Jesus because I always thought that Christianity had to do with the building or like the place of worship. Because, I mean, that's where it happened, right? Was, was in that place. And so I, I never, I mean, I had kind of times that I prayed on the sports field and other things. I didn't know any knowledge about God, but, but I just thought, well, that's where it happens. It's in the building, But then I started reading the Bible and I said, wow, rarely does it actually talk about Jesus and his followers like in the building. You'll see him at the temple, you see him at the synagogue, but but all the stories are out there on the trail or in someone's house or in somebody's place of work. You know, and then I read the whole Bible and and I said, wow, I said, very rarely does, does it happen in the building except some really long chapters in Leviticus and other places where you see all kinds of animals sacrifice and everything else, which is brutal. But the majority is just, it's just like out in real life. And I think that that's, that's something there for us. God's telling us something. That, that, that if we say, well, if my, if my relationship with God actually is just summed up in this building or another building, I'm missing it. But somehow, like within the culture of Christianity, we've made it that like, that like the coaches, like put it to the, the locker room or the athletic field. Like somehow within Christianity, we've made it that like, like this, like the coaches like halftime speech or pregame speech or postgame speech is like the highlight of everything. We love to watch it. We love to play it. We love to quote it. We love to tweet it, all those things. And it's just like, is that even real people? No, the game is out there in your real life. And that's what Jesus is saying. This right here is just the locker room for Christianity for life. When we get together in here, we, we, we talk, we coach up, we encourage, we go, but then the game is out there. And that's what Jesus and God is telling us throughout all scripture. And so you can't just do it here. This isn't what it's all about. This is to equip and encourage us to go out and actually do it for real out there. So that's how it is in Christianity. But what does it look like? How can I do that? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, which ones? The one that he's spoken throughout this whole sermon and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority 
and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus says that there's two types of people. Both hear his words. Both hear his words. They've heard what he says. And then both built a house. And with both rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. And then he says that one is like a wise person who puts the words of Jesus into practice and built their house on a rock, which did not fall because it's had its foundation on the rock. Then the other is like a foolish person who did not put the words of Jesus into practice and built their house on sand and it fell with a great crash. This is why outward appearance is so deceiving. This is why when we compare ourselves with others, it's so deceiving. This is why when we look and say, boy, they have it together, Jesus would disagree. Because both built a house, both houses fit their needs, both were looking good, but then when the things of life came up, only one would stand. And it's an analogy just not for the things happening in life, but it's an analogy for all of eternity. To say, what am I building my house on? Am I building it on sinking sand? Am I building it on something that, that is movable? Or am I building it on something that is strong and unmovable? Because we should read this and say, you know, this is, this is a warning to me. but then we should also see great encouragement from this. I mean, what Jesus is saying here, you guys, is that there is a way to build a life that not only for now, but for all of eternity. And it's a quality of life for now and for all of eternity. And it's a length for now and for all of eternity that you can build a life that's unbreakable. That it doesn't matter what's thrown at it. This will not fall that it doesn't matter what goes on, you are unshakable. I mean, think about it. How many messages do you see every day, whether on the internet or social media or around town, that tells you this is what's going to change your life? This truck, this car, this person, this thing, this gadget, this stuff. It's the same message. There's actually studies that the the the... Uh, the founders of our modern day marketing that we experience, you know, who, you know who they were? They're actually pastor's kids because they knew the salvation message. They knew the testimony message. Hey, here's your life, okay? Here's this amazing thing. Here's your life after you get that amazing thing. And yet the problem is, is that all of that is fleeting. All of that falls down. All of that's like sand. There's not a person that can make your life solid besides Jesus. There's not a thing that can make your life solid besides Jesus. And it's a surrendering to him. And, you know, one of the biggest hurdles to this is by actually taking stock. We need to take stock of our lives to come to Jesus and to learn and grow in him. But then there's a barrier for some that it's like, yeah, 
having an unbreakable life, like what if I've already broken it? Like what if it's already broken? You know, like what if I'm the one, what if I'm the exception? You know, what if I've messed up? Or yeah, Cody, I thought I was good, but now I'm not, you know, I don't know. Uh, with that, I think of uh, one of my mentors, uh, Mike McIntosh. He was uh, uh, back in the 60s, he was a, uh, uh, he's a hippie in California. And uh, he, uh, like a lot of the hippies during that time, took recreational uh, drugs and things. And uh, one night he was on an LSD trip and, and these guys mixed some rat poison in with it to see kind of what, what it would do. And, and he, had, he was just out there and, and they actually uh, uh, put his hands behind his back and put a bag over his head and, and shot off a gun. And so he had such a bad LSD trip that he actually thought that his, his head was blown off. And so he walked around, he, he'd go out to the desert to look for UFOs and, and be out there. And, and he actually met with a therapist for 17 months. And it took 17 months for this therapist to actually convince him that he was really alive and not walking around dead. And uh, he was married for, he got met somebody and Sandy and met somebody and then, uh, and then they got married after, I mean, they got divorced after six months. They got married. And so just life completely falling around and just involved in all sorts of Eastern mysticism and all sorts of things. I mean, so you talk about like a life blown up. That's it. But then he met some Christians. And as those Christians shared with him, he met Jesus and surrendered his life to Jesus. And so after he surrendered his life to Jesus within two years, now he was healed of all of his stuff with the, you know, with the, drugs and all those things. And, uh, and it, you know, he ended up uh, uh, getting remarried to Sandy, who everything blew it up with. And, and, then, and then he actually ended up founding a church in San Diego, uh, Horizon Christian Fellowship. And, and, uh, and it, was, it was that church that when I moved to San Diego that I, I became a part of. And, you know, there's uh, tens of thousands of people in, in hundreds of churches all throughout the world that they planted over this during time. And, and you look at his life, and not that being a pastor and doing that is, is the, you know, creme de la creme of, of putting a life together unshakable, but, like, his life was here, and now it was here. Completely changed by the power of Jesus. And have an unshakable life. And look, I mean, this life, you guys, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems. I, I had this moment the other day as I was thinking through this. I was in the Target parking lot. Most of my uh, uh, ahas with Jesus are in the Target parking lot or Walmart or something like that. And, uh, um, and the Lord said to me, he said, you know, Cody, you are too focused on fixing your problems. Like my car breaking down, just this car keeps breaking down. And so my personality is, is to just go after stuff, you know, little chance of success, certain death. What are we waiting for? Let's go. And so I can end up wrapping my life around those things. And, and so the Lord's like, you look, your car is always going to be broken. Great. Thank you. In other words, there's always going to be these broken things. But what I found was, is that was stealing my joy. The true reality that I'm a son of the living God, that I lack nothing, even though my cars speak different. That I lack nothing, that my sins are forgiven, my future's clear, my life is full, my sins are forgiven, I'm filled with the Spirit of God, and my life is unshakable because I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. 
That's my true reality. And so the Lord spoke to me. He says, you know, like, it's almost like you worship that, Cody, like these, like getting these problems fixed, getting these things fixed. And like that, I think that like all of a sudden there's going to be this calm. Okay, I fixed everything wrong with the house. I fixed everything wrong with the computers. I fixed everything with the cars. (sighs) And it was a profound moment for me because I just said, this is stealing my joy. So that's mine. What's yours? What's yours that Jesus says, come away and be with me. Come away and rest in me. Because what's it worth, you guys? I mean, is that what the Bible really says? Like, hey, what this really is, is like life's going to stink this side of eternity. But when you die, it becomes really good. That's not the message of Jesus. The, Jesus, the message of Jesus is come and receive eternal life now and enter into the joy of the Lord now. Now, you get it now. In the midst of everything broken and messed up. But there's so many distractions. And so how do we do this? Like, how do we build our house upon the rock? Because you say to yourself, okay, great, I know this, but how do you build your house on the rock? Here's how you do this. It's incredibly simplified, but this is, this is what I've done since I was 15 years old. And this is what I learned from others. And this is what I share with you. And this is encapsulates what we do as a church, what we're pointing to. First and foremost, decide and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Decide and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And then write it down or say so. No joke. Write it down or say so. Young life, it's a uh, non, uh, it's a non, I don't know what it is. It's a parachurch. They call it parachurch ministries. And they have nights where it's like, if you've met Jesus, if you surrender your life to Jesus, they'll say, say so. So if you've decided your life for Jesus Christ, say so. Write it down. Tell people. I mean, that's what you see all throughout the New Testament. It's like, and then he shared all the good things that the Lord had done for him. That's what solidifies the decision in you and you get with other people in that as well. So first of all, decide and surrender your life to Jesus. Next, spend time with Jesus and his people. You see, we all need to be loved and to love others. So spend time with Jesus. Read his word. Pray. Well, there's a lot I don't understand. I don't know how to pray. Great, ask him how to pray. And he'll show you how to pray. Well, I don't like people. Great. Get around them. You'll like them a lot more because that's what's going to happen is that God's going to change your heart. In the Old Testament, it says he takes a heart of stone out of us and he puts a heart of flesh that feels there. And it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing that God's love has power to change even me and to change even you. It's the only thing on the face of the earth that's ever been around that actually can change us, you guys, is God's love. And then the last thing is this, and listen, you can do these other things, but if you don't do this, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to feel like you're spinning your wheels, and that's obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And so when you sign up for Jesus, you surrender your life to him, he's going to give you certain things to do. But even more importantly, what he's saying is to say, come and go with me. 
When he says, I want you to obey me in this, go talk to that person, go serve that person, go give that person your money, go do this, go give this, go help that person, go here. I want you to stop. I don't want you to do that anymore. And you obey him. What he's saying is he's saying, come and be with me and come and go with me. See, obedience is not this harsh thing with Jesus. It's, it's this, he's saying, come on, let's go. Walk with me. That's what it means with Jesus. He says, he says walk with me, be with me. That's how you grow in Christian spirituality is obeying Jesus because it's an entrance into real life. And if you do these things, you will have an unshakable life for now and for all of eternity. As we close, I love this. It's in the last chapter of all of all scripture. This is what it says. It's it's the eternal cry to all people. It's the cry to all people. There's not a person on the face of the earth that this call isn't to and that what's said here doesn't happen if we answer. It says in Revelations 22, 17, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. And so God, that's what we do today. We hear you say, come. We hear you say, give me everything. And we hear you calling us to the waters of life. Jesus, thank you for the words that you spoke here, for you've shared your heart with us. You shared intimately with us and throughout this sermon, throughout this teaching of what you're like and the life that you call us to. And just, just while we're, we're moving into worship here, uh, I don't want the moment to pass, is this, is that, you know, it, it, that first step there is, is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. So whether you're in this room or, or you're, you're online, I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer. And again, there's no magic in this, but it's, it's the intent of your heart, not just your words, not just not your religious actions, but your heart meeting the intent of God's for your life. And so just in the quietness of your heart, while everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just pray this prayer. Just say, dear Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me for living my way instead of your way. Cleanse me from my sin. I believe you came, you died, and you rose again. And that you sent the Holy Spirit. Now fill me with your spirit, God. Wash me. Make me new. I am yours. If you, if you prayed that prayer, I want to be able to pray for you today. So just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. But, but if you prayed that today, and I'm going to look different parts of the room, but if you prayed that, I just want you to look up at me. I'm going to start over on the left here. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah. God bless you. Yeah. Middle here. God bless you. Yeah. God bless you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, Lord, you never tire of us turning our hearts back to you. And so all of us say, God, here's our hearts. Would you take them back? Would you keep them? Let's stand together and we're going to worship. And, you know, if you turned your heart over to Jesus for the first time or returning back to him today, you know, the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. I mean, what, what a deal. What a deal that, that, that all my stuff is washed away and that I have new life in him. That's the life of Jesus. And so let's worship him now. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 